0: Do you ever get the feeling that life is really nothing more than a pointless, circular, meaningless trip? As though you're walking on a treadmill and you're constantly moving and you're constantly doing something, but you're not ever getting anywhere? Isn't it nice that here on the first day of the week that we're able to take a break from that treadmill, that rat race of life? and come here and to gather together with the disciples and to do something that we know is meaningful and important. How would you like, though, to do more than just take a break? How would you like to get off of the treadmill for the rest of your life? To recognize that what you are doing and who you are is meaningful and is important and is accomplishing something. That you're not just going through the treadmill like everyone else. There's a book in the Bible that can help us with this. In fact, we can go back to the book of Ecclesiastes where we find that the writer is asking the question, is there any meaning in life? And we find that Solomon, the author of this book, conducted a great experiment As he answered this question. But I want you to know as we begin, that as we begin to answer this question, it's very, very depressing. In fact, for the great majority of this morning's lesson, I am going to be doing nothing more than giving you reasons to despair and believe that you can never break free and have any meaning in life. I'm just warning you, because I want you to hang with me through to the end. Because in the end, we'll find meaning. But as we continue on to that point, it's going to look pretty desperate and pretty depressing. We find at the very beginning of the book of Ecclesiastes that Solomon begins with what seems to be the theme of his book. Life stinks. Then you die. We've heard people say that, right? It's true. Notice what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem... Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. It's useless. It's pointless. It's vain. Everything is vain. Life stinks. And then chapter 2, verse 16. For there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man, as with the fool, inasmuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten, and how the wise man and the fool alike die. That's it. We go through a pitiful life meaningless, useless, under the sun. It's just awful. It's constantly going around in circles. It's like the rat race, the treadmill. And then we die. And then this life is over and there's nothing more for it. I want you to notice what the preacher says beginning in verse 5 of chapter 1. As he describes this life, and see if it doesn't sound accurate. He knows what kind of lives we lead even though he lived thousands of years before us. The sun rises and the sun sets, and hastening to its place, it rises there again, blowing toward the south and turning toward the north. The wind continues swirling along, and on its circular course the wind returns. All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, there they flow again. All things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, see this, it is new? Already it has existed for ages which were before us. There is no remembrance of earlier things, and also of the later things which will occur. There will be for them no remembrance among those which will co- who will come later still. He uses three examples to demonstrate what our life is like. The very first thing that He points out to us is that life is just one big constant repetition. It just happens over and over and over again. We're just constantly going through the motions and doing the same thing. The sun rises and the sun sets and it hastens back to where it arose. Do you have this kind of life? You get up and you make your bed. Why? Just so you can get in it again that night and it's messy. You go and you get dishes and you eat off of them. Then what do you do? Hopefully you wash them. To do what? Just eat off of them again. You go in and you dust your house. Why? For it just to get dusty again. You go to work and you earn money. Why? So you can spend it and have to do what? Go back and earn more money. So you can continue to live. It's just over and over and over again. Just doing the same things. Does that sound like your life? Is that the way it is? Of course it is. We're not that different from Solomon. Then he goes on to point out that as we back up and we look at the generations, you know, our lives is like the sun going back and forth, but even if we back up and look from generation to generation, we find that it's always just the same old thing. Tiresome and wearisome. Just like the wind that goes toward the south and turns around to the north, the wind whirls about continually and then comes again on its circuit. Every generation believes we have the answers, don't we? And we're all going to be different. We're not going to be like our parents, are we? Those of you who are older, how did you feel when you were in your teens and in your twenties? You knew you were going to be different, weren't you? And then as you saw your kids coming up, what what did you tell about them? What did they think? I'm not going to be like you mom and dad. My generation, what have we thought? Oh, we're going to be different. We've got the answers. Everyone who's gone on before, if they didn't understand, but we've got it. And now I'm watching as a new generation comes up and I know that you think the same thing. And what do we all learn in the end? that we all come right back around to the same place, like the wind going on its course and on its circuit. It blows to the south for a while and it blows to the north for a while, but it always comes back to the same path. And that's exactly what happens. There's nothing new under the sun. None of us have come up with some new way of living that is going to break free from this mindless, meaningless life in which we live. And then He comes down and He points out to us that nothing ever satisfies. This hunger and this longing that we have is like the rivers running into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To so the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. Nothing satisfies. Not even a Snickers can satisfy this hunger. It just doesn't work. We plod along. We grope for our material things. We strive to grow, but every day we still have the same longing and desire. And it's never full as we're trying to break free from the meaninglessness and the vanity that is this life. One of the great things about the book of Ecclesiastes, however, is that Solomon conducted a great experiment to try to break free. And he pursued many courses and many avenues. And as we consider his attempts to break free, what we'll find is that he went through a lot of the same things that people today go through. And let's just take a look at some of them. We'll begin in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 17. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 17, Solomon said, And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, and I realize that this also is striving after wind, because in much wisdom there's much grief, and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. He said, I tried to know wisdom and understanding and to distinguish it from madness and folly. And he pursued that course. And then in chapter 2 and verse 1 he said, I said to myself, come now, I'll test you with pleasure, so enjoy yourself. And behold, it too was futility. I said of laughter, it's madness and of pleasure. What does it accomplish? He tried to break free by having a good time. How many folks do we know like this? The one seeking wisdom and understanding. Always the student, but never living in real life. Always trying to acquire more knowledge. The one looking for a good time. The party animal who's just going to flip from club to club to club just going to have a good time and not worry about anything serious. You know people like this? As they're trying to break free from the uselessness of life? We continue on. In verse 3, Solomon says, I explored my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men and to do under heaven the few years of their lives. He pursued wine. Alcohol. How many people trying to break free turn to these kinds of stimulants, alcohol, drugs, to try to help them find some type of meaning and enjoyment in life that makes it seem like it's important and worth living? He goes on. In verse 4, I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. And I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. Personal accomplishments. He was working. He was building things. Surely, that would leave something behind for the coming generations and it would be meaningful and his life would now be important. How many people are trying to do this? personal accomplishments, workaholics that are constantly just trying to accomplish the next goal, build the next building, uh, climb the next mountain, achieve the next award, and be able to say that 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 will provide meaningfulness. That will help me break free and be different from everybody else. Do you know people like this? And then, in verse 7, I bought male and female slaves, and I had homeborn slaves. Also, I possessed flocks and herds larger than all that preceded me in Jerusalem. I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. He went to possessions. If I could only just have that one more gadget. That computer, that car, that house, the new carpet, the new blinds, the new gadget or gizmo, the new tool, the new set of golf clubs. Oh, if I could just have that, then life would be good. Do you know anybody like that? And then he said finally, in verse 10, All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Pleasure. Didn't withhold any pleasure. Here is the richest man in the world. Do you think he could afford pleasures? Oh, of course he could. And he said he pursued those. Do you know people like this? Have you been like this? Striving to break free from the meaningless cycle of life? If you've been like this, you already know Solomon's conclusion, don't you? In verse 11, flushed all this down and said, it's pointless and meaningless. He said, I looked on all the works that my hands had done and on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. He said, I tried going by wisdom. I tried going by madness. I tried going by having a good time. I sought out personal accomplishments and possessions and pleasures. I tried to stimulate myself with wine. And when it was all said and done, it was still meaningless. There was no profit. I was trying to break free, but it was like trying to grab the wind. I have to tell you something about me. I remember as a kid, one of my jobs at home was to rake the leaves. Any of you ever had that job? Okay, yeah, we had to rake leaves. Now, I really liked the one city where we lived where all you had to do was rake it up to the curb and they had some vacuum thing that would come along and suck them right off the curb. That was great. But see, before I went there, we had to bag them up and that was the worst part about raking. And I would often be distracted because that was just the kind of person I was. And I had this bag, and I was out there, and it was windy, and I thought to myself, you know what, I bet I can blow this bag up like a balloon. I just run through the wind, and then I'll close it, and it'll be like a big old balloon. Now, I know some of you tried that too, didn't you? Any of you ever tried? Well, you don't have to admit it. What happened, though, as soon as I closed up the bag? It just folded down. Why? Because you can't catch the wind. You can't grab the wind. And I could run over that yard all day long. And what was I going to have? An empty bag without any wind in it. Useless. Pointless. That's what Solomon says. Why? Why is it useless? Why is it pointless? We can read beginning in verse 14 of chapter 2. He said, The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I know that one fate befalls them both. And I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, this too is vanity. For there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool, inasmuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten, and how the wise man and the fool alike die. He continues on, so I hated life. For the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving after wind. Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun, for I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be a wise man or a fool. Yet he'll have control over all the fruit of my labor for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This, too, is vanity. Therefore I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. Why is all this meaningless and pointless? Because we're going to die. And anything that we might accomplish, anything that we might do, just gets left to somebody else and we can't control what they do with it. Who knows whether or not they'll be wise or foolish. Take a look at Solomon. What happened when his son got a hold of everything? He split the kingdom in two. Who knows? He said, we're going to die. And and so I hated it. I couldn't even have fun in the fun things that was going on because I knew where it was all leading. He says, I'm going to die. I can't look at my accomplishments and think about how great they are because I'm going to die and somebody else is going to control them and who knows what they'll do. It's pointless. And so he said, I despaired. Have you ever had that despair? You realize we live in a time that ought to understand this principle more than any other. Think about what we've seen. We have learned that we can have a good time and we can have fun and we can enjoy all the pleasures that we may desire and tomorrow the bank will take our house away from us because we haven't worked to make the payment. We can go out and have all the pleasures of life and tomorrow be diagnosed with a sexually transmitted disease. We have learned that we can be young and strong and have a seemingly great future ahead of us And some nut might sniper us down in a gas station parking lot. We have learned that we can build tall buildings that stand as a monument to engineering and ingenuity and a religious fanatic can fly a plane into them and bring them toppling down in less than a day. We have learned that we might amass great possessions and live in big houses and drive nice cars, but a storm or a tornado, or an earthquake, or a fire can take it all away from us. We've learned that we can even be a father of the greatest nation on earth. And yet in time, historians will begin to discredit and tear our reputation apart. We've learned all of this. How meaningless it all is. And yet... Solomon pointed out that there is at least one thing that seems to provide some meaning in life. Wisdom. Look in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 11 and verse 12. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 11 and 12, the Bible says, Wisdom, along with that inheritance, is good and an advantage to those who see the sun. For wisdom is protection, just as money is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of its possessors. He says, it does seem like wisdom provides a little bit for us. It can protect us. It can even preserve our lives. It allows us to at least go through life a little bit more easily. However, when we examine the book of Ecclesiastes a little bit more in depth, we find out that wisdom really still doesn't provide that much for us because there's a whole lot of things that wisdom cannot do. For instance, in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 20, After he had said all this about wisdom in Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 20, he said, he said, indeed, there's not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. Sure, it's true that if we live wisely every moment of every day, we'll turn away from sin at all times. But what Solomon said as he looked around the earth is that even the wisest have fallen. And no matter how much wisdom we have, he said, there's not a righteous person out there that hasn't sinned. Wisdom won't keep us from sinning. In fact, most of us have already botched that. Wisdom will not keep us from growing old. In chapter 12 and verse 1. Chapter 12 and verse 1, he says, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come. And the years draw near when you'll say, I have no delight in them. Before the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are darkened and clouds return after the rain. In the day that the watchmen of the house tremble and mighty men stoop, the grinding ones stand idle because they're few and those who look through the windows grow dim. And the doors on the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low. And one will arise at the sound of the bird and all the daughters of song will sing softly. Furthermore, men are afraid of high places and of terrors on the road. The almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags himself along and the caperberry is ineffective for a man goes to his eternal home while mourning go about in the street this is a very flowery picture of someone growing old the grinders cease because they're few our teeth fall out those who look through the window become dim our eyes weaken and fail how many of us had 20-20 vision and turned 40 and suddenly we had to have glasses anybody know that one? cataracts problems just gets worse the strong men stoop our legs don't support us as much Our back stoops over, the almond tree blossoms, we get the grey hair. We rise at night because it's hard to sleep even with just small noises. Wisdom won't stop all that. The only thing that will stop that is if we die before all that starts, and one of the other things we learn about wisdom is that it can't stop us from dying. In Ecclesiastes chapter two, verse twelve, what did we read just moments ago? I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what will man do who will come after the kings? Make sure I'm reading it the right. Verse 13, excuse me. Ecclesiastes 2.13, And I saw that wisdom excels folly, as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness, and yet I know that one fate befalls them both. I said to myself, as is the fate of the fool, it will also befall me. Why then have I been extremely wise? So I said to myself, this too is vanity. For there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man as with the fool, inasmuch as in the coming days all will be forgotten, and how the wise man and the fool alike die. Doesn't matter how wise I am, I'm going to die. Another thing wisdom won't tell me is when I'm going to die. Am I going to die while I'm young or am I going to die when I'm old? Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 11 says, in Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 11, I again saw unto the sun that the race is not to the swift and the battle is not to the warriors and neither is bread to the wise nor wealth to the discerning nor favor to men of ability for time and chance overtake them all. Moreover, man does not know his time like fish caught in a treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare. So the sons of men are ensnared in an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. Wisdom is not going to stop me from dying, and it's not going to tell me when it's going to happen. Time and chance will overtake us. And no matter how strong we might believe we are, it will overcome us. It won't keep us from dying, won't tell us when, and it won't preserve our reputation. As we continue on in chapter 9, verse 13, All that, Also this I came to see is wisdom under the sun, and it impressed me. There was a small city with few men in it, and a great king came to it, surrounded it, and constructed large siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man. And he delivered the city by this wisdom. Here's the city's deliverer. Don't you think they ought to remember him after he's dead? Verse 15 at the end of it. Yet no one remembered that poor man. He delivered the city through wisdom. He died And was forgotten. Reminds me of Joseph and the Pharaoh who came up and didn't remember Joseph. Not only will it not preserve our reputation, it will not preserve our legacy. If you go back to chapter 2, the verses we read just a moment ago, verse 18, I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun, for I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be a wise man or a fool. Yet He will have control over all the fruit of my labor in which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. It won't protect my legacy. I can leave all kinds of things to my kids and to their kids. But all the wisdom I portray in my life will not protect that legacy once I'm gone. And finally, wisdom will not keep us out of judgment. In Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 9 Rejoice, young man, during your childhood and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes, yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. Kind of depressing, isn't it? I can do everything that I can do And in the end, no matter how great I live my life, no matter what I accomplish, no matter what I own, I'm going to die. And it's all going to be for naught. I can't control it. I can't do anything about it. I can't even make sure that you remember me properly. I can't make sure that my kids deal with what I leave them properly. What is the point? That's the place where we get as we consider these things. What's the point of all of this? Why is God doing this to us? Is this just a big game for him? Is it fun for him up in heaven to see this and to see what we go through and to make us go through this rat race? Is that all it is? Just some big giant experiment? Solomon actually answers that question. Look in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, beginning at verse 18. "...I said to myself concerning the sons of men, God has surely tested them in order for them to see that they are but beasts." For the fate of the sons of men and the fate of beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Indeed, they all have the same breath and there's no advantage for man over beast for all is vanity. All go to the same place. All came from the dust and all return to the dust. Why is God having us go through this? Why is He putting all these things down here that we can spin our wheels and try to break free but realize that we can't? Because He wants us to constantly and continually to come to the realization that no matter what we do, we will die. And it is so sad that in our modern day, we try to hide death from people. Especially our kids. Because what God wants us to understand more than anything else is that we all die and we don't know when. That's what it's all about. Figuring that out. But that's kind of depressing, isn't it? Kind of despairing. Why is it that God wants us to realize this? Notice what, the, what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 1. A good name is better than a good ointment. And the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting because that is the end of every man. And the living takes it to heart. Why does God want us to realize that we die? Because when we finally come to that realization, we'll take that to heart. That'll register something with us. Causing us to realize what life is all about. Why? Notice what he says in chapter 8. Beginning at verse 11. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 11, "...because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his life..." Still I know that it will be well for those who fear God, who fear Him openly. But it will not be well for the evil man, and he'll not lengthen his days like a shadow, because he does not fear God. There is futility which is done on the earth. That is, there there are righteous men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. On the other hand, there are evil men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say that this too is futility. Now on the surface, this seems like a great contradiction, doesn't it? In verse 14, Solomon says, look, It happens to the righteous the way we think it ought to happen to the wicked. It happens to the wicked the way we think it ought to happen to the righteous. It's futile. We don't know what's going to happen. Wicked people live a long, long time. Righteous people die young. But just before that, he had said in verses 12 and 13 that it would be well for those who fear God, but not well for those who don't. Now, which is it? Solomon's making a point. He says, In this life, Under the sun, there is uselessness and futility because we all die. And it doesn't matter how righteous or wicked or wise or foolish, it all happens to us and we don't know when. But there is coming a time when how we live does matter. And it will be well with those who serve God and not well for those who don't after death. He wants us to take it to heart that we're going to die. Because when we come to grips with that and when we recognize our fate, we can take that to heart because we realize that there is something that occurs after death that changes our outlook on everything. And that something is, of course, the judgment to which we've already alluded. And knowing this provides our meaning in life. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 9, Rejoice, young man, during your childhood. Let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. Follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes, yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. Chapter 12, verse 13, The conclusion when all has been heard is, Fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every act to judgment. Everything which is hidden, whether it is good or or evil. I recognize that the judgment is coming and that's going to affect my eternity. And suddenly there's now meaning in this life. Because how I'm living today, while it may not affect this life, while it may not extend my life on this earth, while it may not provide me with wealth and fame and riches... I know that the way I live this life is going to affect how I spend eternity and whether or not it will be well with me for eternity or whether or not it will be in torment for eternity. And suddenly, everything has meaning in life. And I can go back as it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, beginning at verse 7. Solomon there said, "'Go then, eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already approved your works.'" Let your clothes be white all the time, and let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life which he has given you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there's no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you're going. What's he pointing out? He says, look, when you understand that you're going to die and you're going to judgment, suddenly it changes things. You can actually enjoy life because you're freed from all the pursuits that men find as valuable. Suddenly you're not worried about whether or not you amass great possessions and how well you protect them because you realize it doesn't matter, I'm going to die. But what does matter is I'm going to go to judgment after that and what's going to happen to me for eternity. And whether or not you are given great possessions, whether or not you have great personal accomplishments on your job, whether or not you accomplish anything, you can have meaning in life and you can enjoy it when you realize this is all about eternity. God has us go through this meaningless, futile cycle to get us to realize that nothing in our lives is really about this life. We spend too much time Focus on this life. He wants us to realize death is coming so that we'll look beyond this life. And then we can have meaning. Then we can enjoy what we've got. Because we realize this is what God's given us now. Let's just enjoy it. Because we're looking forward to something better. We can work hard because we realize that that's what we can do here. And how I live is going to affect my eternity. And we can enjoy it no matter what it produces. And no matter how we compare to others. Because we know about what's coming. There's meaning in life. And brethren, that is the only meaning in life. If you spend your time spinning your wheels for possessions, personal accomplishments, pleasures, pride, you'll never break free. You'll never enjoy this life and you will not enjoy eternity, I guarantee. But when you focus on where we're going and because of that, obey God and keep His commandments, then you can enjoy life and you can have meaning and fulfillment and look forward to a great eternity no matter what this life is like for you.